Greetings, boys and babes. It's the Magic Hour, a place where we navigate through life's peaks and valleys with all the vulnerability and shamelessness we can muster. With the help of world-class guests from all walks of life, we uncover new truths and valuable tools for manifesting our highest potential. I'm your host, Mercedes Terrell, along with my partner in shine, Jade Bryce. Hey, you guys. I am super excited for today's guest. When I looked her up online, I just kept being more and more amazed at every single line in her bio because she's just such an incredible human and her work is so amazing. But also her work is very embedded in like past life work Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, seeking you know, soul seeking in that area. And that's something that has always been um, a part of my journey or has been a part of my journey here, um, you know, since I've stepped onto the growth path is uh, working with my past lives. And I do, you know, sometimes see other people's past lives. And that's something that, um, you know, when you get to talk to someone else who has that ability, it like really um, just feels good. It feels um it feels very comforting. So I'm super stoked to have her on today. Um, and I know Mercedes, we've talked about past lives in the, um, in the past <laughs> of, of this life, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, let's get her on. Yeah. I'm excited too. This is something I've been, it's been cool to witness you do the work in Jaden also to have talked to so many people in this realm already, but this is one who I feel like she's really an expert in this mm-hmm. realm and to just be able to dive deeper because people have so many questions here. So yeah. Our guest today is an author, storyteller, and the founder and convener of the Global Peace Initiative of Women, bringing spiritual resources to address critical global challenges such as conflict, social justice, and ecological scarring of the earth. Over the years, she has worked to bring greater gender balance and balance between the Abrahamic and Dharma-based religious traditions for a more inclusive interfaith movement. Among GPIW's many programs is the organization of a session on the inner dimensions of climate change at the annual UN Climate Summits. It's a big deal. For over 40 years, she's been a devotee of Paramahansa Yogananda, a practitioner of Kriya Yoga meditation, as well as a student of the great texts of the Vedic tradition. She received her master's degree from Columbia University in sacred literature, and she has since served on the boards of such prestigious organizations as the Harvard Center for the Study of World Religions, um, as well as the Interfaith Center of New York, and the International Center for Religion and Diplomacy. And actually, there's many more to list here. As well, she was an advisor to the board of Dharma Drum Mountain Buddhist Association in 2014 and received the Nawani Peace Prize for her interfaith peace efforts. Her most recent best-selling books are My Journey Through Time, A Spiritual Memoir of Life, Death, and Rebirth, and The Untold Story of Sita, An Empowering Tale for Our Time. Her most recent book, When the Bright Moon Rises, The Awakening of Ancient Memories, is her rich and extensive story of her past lives. Whew, fascinating stuff. This 
this her, her third book is a love story between the sages and the cosmic forces known as the deities also about love in the sages and the people and love between the individuals seeking to express this universal forth, force of love that exists within us all it's a study of karma which is the cosmic law of cause and effect so guys if you're not intrigued yet you must not be listening to this extremely extraordinarily extensive bio please help me welcome dina Miriam to the magic hour wonderful to be here thank you for having me yeah we're so excited if you if you guys have not like heard of this woman this is going to be i think a new intro into a, a realm that a lot of our listeners maybe haven't played with before. So I think this is going to be really fun. This conversation is yeah. something we're excited about. So Dina, it seems like you've lived a few lives simply in this lifetime. So tell <laughs> us about a few of the highs and lows that brought you to who you are today and to this work you're doing today. Well, it's true. I, I have had a few lives within this one physical body as we all have, mm-hmm. <laughs> because if you look back at your early years, it seems like a different lifetime. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I started meditating at the age of 20. I found my uh, guru, Paramahansa Yogananda, and began a very serious meditation practice. And a student of the sacred texts, um, and did that for about 20 years. Uh, I was married, raised two sons, got divorced. And then uh, after I've been meditating for about 20 years, just really, without my intending, got involved with the interfaith movement. And... Um, began organizing um, interfaith programs. I I saw a lack of women's involvement in the interfaith world. And so I began trying to get more women involved and and balance, create more uh, gender balance. And so I created this organization, the Global Peace Initiative of Women, because the women wanted to be more active in, in peace building. And so we did dialogues all around the world in many of the conflict areas. And um, in the process of doing that, I began to have very vivid recollections of my previous births. I would, wow. it often it would be a place that I'd gone or a person that I met that would trigger something. I wrote about this in my book, my first book, My Journey Through Time, um, Spiritual Memoir of, of Life, Death, and Rebirth. And so that, that went on for quite a while before I actually ended up writing about it. And the work evolved and developed we moved from peace building to environmental work, to climate change, to mentoring young people. Um, and then I wrote another book called The Untold Story of Sita uh, because of, it, it, of, of, some, of a pilgrimage I took in India. And then this book, um, When the Bright Moon Rises, came to me um, just a few years ago, also through travels, when I began to have recollections of a totally different time. I've always had an interest uh, in history. Mm-hmm. Since I was young, I had an interest in history. But seeing beyond the external facts as we learn history, really looking at, at, at the evolution of human society and our own spiritual evolution, because I've always assumed that I've been around for a long time, that this wasn't, you know, the beginning and end of it, that, mm-hmm. that life keeps going on and life is a long past and a long future. That was just something I was born knowing. Um, and so my interest has always been to understand how it works, this law of cause and effect that guides us, that directs us. Uh, what are these spiritual laws that frame our life? That's always been a, a driving curiosity of mine. And so that's what led me to writing my books, to sharing it publicly, mm. to sharing my experiences wow. publicly. That's 
Fascinating. So when you say that the book kind of came to you, what was, how has been the experience of kind of downloading this information? Well, it's, um, there are two parts to the book. One takes part many, many millennia ago in India and a love story that doesn't find fulfillment. And then it, it resumes in China 9,000 years later where, the, where these two beings reconnect and the love finds fulfillment. And um, people always ask me this, what's the process for you? I can't say what the process is. It is like a downloading. It's like I'm just carried into another realm and I'm, I'm experiencing mm-hmm. the life of that being. Whether it's my own past or whether I'm channeling somebody else, I can't tell. But I experience it as my own past. Mm-hmm. And I see many, uh, I see a lot of resonance with my current life. Um, I have seen that every life that I've seen, there are certain personality traits that remain. They may be subtle. Nobody else may notice them. Um, but for example, in this book, uh, the second part where I talk about this life in China, it's a woman poet. She's an unknown poet, but she's married to a famous poet. That's the theme that has been with me for a long time. Uh, interest in poetry and writing poetry. As a child, I used to write a lot. But it's not a predominant part of my life now. It's really a minor part. But it's it's um, something that I was born with, uh, always drawn to poetry and 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 love mm. to love to read and to write poetry. So I can't say whether this is really my past life experience or whether I'm downloading another for some reason. Um, in my effort to in, in my effort to show the karmic connections and how karma works and and how it's an ongoing journey. One life is a chapter in a long, long book, so to speak. Yeah, and that's something that we definitely want to hit on with you is how do we better understand the laws of karma um, or cause and effect, like you're mentioning here? Where do we start with that work? Well, I think our first understanding is that we have history because everything that happens to us has had an earlier cause. Nothing is arbitrary out of the blue. So it's our relationships, it's our work, it's our health, it's financial life, it's where we live, who our friends are. Um, everything comes together from an earlier cause. And it could be um, not just your previous life, it could be 10 lifetimes ago, because when the conditions are right, that's when uh, the relationship will come back, will emerge again. Mm-hmm. So it, it's as I've spent so many years studying this law of cause and effect, I see it as an amazing weaving of so many factors. And it's like the logical mind can't see it all. It's like mm-hmm. this intuitive mandala with all these interconnections. Um, but, but we know that if you're in a beautiful relationship, it's not, likely not the first time you've come together. You've worked on that mm-hmm. in the past. That's what I was curious about. You're yeah. finding the, yeah, the fulfillment of that. If you're in a challenging relationship, there's a history to that. Mm-hmm, and the mm-hmm. choice is to resolve it or to face it in the future. So one thing that seeing my past has done for me is made me realize that there's no judgment, there's no punishment. We create our own situations. And if the past creates our present, then we are now creating our future. So we can yeah. more consciously shape the future that we want. So is it likely that in each reincarnation, we're reincarnating with the same like soul pod, the same group of people? Yes, I think that's, I mean, it may not be the same group every single time, Mm -hmm. but you've had, uh, you know, there could be three or four people that you've been with in your past life 
there could be a few people from the life before that. And some people, you know how life is, people come and go in your life. Some people mm-hmm. are there for two or three years. I've had experiences where I've had intense relationship, work relationship. Three years later, the person is out of my life. Mm-hmm. And I know there was a karmic connection and it did what it needed to do. Yeah. We completed it. Yeah. And an, an intuitive recently told me that one of my close guy friends was a father in my past life and a brother in another past life. And it, you know, it sounds so... Um, like such a weird piece of information to get. But when she said it, it just, it resonated right away. But um, I, when we talk about karma though, is it the case where um, like each life we're clearing it out, clearing it out until we get to a place where it's been um, healed basically, or, um, you know, we've dealt with it. And then in that life, that is the life where maybe there's more enlightenment or more, we're more a light body or um, how does that play out? Or even is there a place where we're headed? Like, or yeah, is it, when does it stop? Is, it, does, <laughs> or is there not? A place where you know? We do graduate. That, that's yeah. I mean, well, what, we maybe I rephrase the question as, is it meant that each life gets easier because each life we heal a little bit more? Is that correct? Easier is not the right word, I don't think. Um, Mm -hmm. I think maybe more aware. Mm -hmm. There's definitely, if you look over a period of time, you definitely see an awakening process because you learn. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you you hit your head, knock your head in the wall and it hurts, you might do it again because you don't realize it. But the third time you say, I'm not going to do that anymore. You eat too much, you get a stomach ache, you might do it again. But at a certain point you say, I'm not going to do that anymore. So we learn, so there's a growing awareness. But some people have very challenging lives and either work, they, they've consciously decided to work out a lot of karma in that life or to work out very difficult karma, to be free of it. Mm-hmm. And so the easiness of a life doesn't necessarily um, um, resonate or doesn't indicate a level of consciousness or awareness. Mm. I know someone, um, uh, my family, Everything worked out for her. She was healthy, even though she ate terribly. She had a beautiful marriage, healthy children, great finances. Everything worked out for her, but she was an unhappy person mm-hmm. and not a very awake, awake person. Mm-hmm. And so I, I say to myself, she just had a vacation life. You know, she, mm-hmm. for some reason, she had all those things in place, but it didn't, it wasn't challenging to her. It didn't serve yeah. her to ask questions. Um, I mean, our challenges are there to help us grow to help mm-hmm. us go deeper. Um, mm-hmm. We want to know why, you know? Um, and yeah. what's the end, end goal of this is to, is to move into a higher state of being. And Which is what some may call heaven, right? Like, I think it was Peter Crone who told me that, like, in each life, we do come closer and closer to that light body to the point where when we do reach that stage of enlightenment, then that once we've you know, completed a certain amount of enlightenment, maybe we move into the celestial realms. Yes. Where that is pretty much heaven, the connection, like we're one with source. We become this one big light body altogether. I don't know. And then there's a juxtaposition come in where it's like, but also don't seek enlightenment also let go and surrender yourself. So you're not, you know, trying so hard because then we get into that suffering as well. Um, I think that um, um, the more we 
the more we live in for service to service the whole mm-hmm. and to be here i mean at a certain point you're not returning to fulfill your karma your unfulfilled desires your desire for relationships that are satisfied but you're mm-hmm. returning to be in service to the creation mm-hmm. to help mm-hmm. others i mean there are loved ones that are not there yet that mm-hmm. you you don't want to abandon mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. so at a certain point you're taking birth sense. to be of service and then there comes a time where you could also be a service in, in the celestial realms because there are many levels to that as well. Yeah. There are beings who don't reincarnate on earth but may go through different cycles within the higher celestial realms. Yeah, and we want to go into that with you too. What are the cosmic forces that are also called deities? <clears throat> so I know you were more talking about entities, right? Is that what? Deities. I, I okay. mean, there, there are... There, the the word in Sanskrit for deity is deva or devi, which means light body. They're light. They're light forms, right? Mm. So they they don't have physicality as we do, um, but they're beautiful and they can change shapes and they can change. I mean, there's much more flexibility and fluidity in those worlds, um, and um, they they can be of two types. I mean, there are beings who have not been human but who were born in that world and who provide service in that world and who help uh, wherever in creation help is needed. It's not just earth. I mean, there are many planets with life forms. The universe is huge, right? <laughs> so mm-hmm. there are many places to be of service, right? Uh, but then there are those of us who are going through the human experience and who reach a point where we graduate and where we don't take rebirth uh, and where we stay in those realms and are of service in those realms, wherever, I mean, all of life is about serving the, the collective awakening, c- serving the collective good. Mm-hmm. Those realms which I've just peered into, uh, and I describe a little bit in my book, because it's also a place that we return to between births. So we're familiar with that. Mm. But, but there's a, a great forgetting when we, when we uh, uh, have to start over with the human body. And so we, lose, we, we suppress the memory of our previous births and of the celestial realms. Uh, but the celestial realms, there are many beings there with which we're familiar. It's not a foreign place to us. Hmm. You know, and, and they're in service. I mean, they're guiding us. I've, I've um, been very aware of, of relationships with beings in the celestial world mm-hmm. at different as- times of my life. That's fascinating. How can people, I feel that, I feel that people who may be sensitive to that energy feel a bit of fear when they feel that energy of like another Mm. deity or being around. How can they uh, start to release that fear and and, uh, not worry so much about those other realms, um, maybe hurting them or... uh, Yeah, being quote unquote evil. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. You know, in the in the in the uh, Abrahamic terminology, we might call them angels, right? Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean that they have wings, but they're they're benevolent to higher beings. When people feel fear, and I and I, when I was younger, I I, I I experienced a little bit of that, um, and and I think that you can, um, and I think that's one of the reasons why we don't have our memories or why we suppress our memories mm. because it would be overwhelming. Mm-hmm. You know, if we, we and, we're, and we're meant to focus on what we need to do in this life. I think I do have my memory. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us. It's, it's, it's <laughs> um, but it can be destabilizing. Mm-hmm. 
it can be destabilizing. Uh, uh, and I think seeing seeing other beings can be destabilizing if you're not very, very grounded and rooted in a, in a spiritual practice and very set on your spiritual path. When you are set on your spiritual path, things happen. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's a, um, an evolving uh, and unfolding. And so you do see things and you do become aware of things and uh, you feel presences. Uh, and it's been mostly benevolent. I mean, there, there are um, rascals out there too that one has to be careful of and stay away from. Uh, but I think for people who feel, feel fear uh, should keep themselves grounded on earth mm. and should just um, not, not go into the exploration uh, because, you know, it's, it's, um, it challenges the worldview, our collective worldview that most of us live with, which is, this is all there is. Mm. And unless you're ready for that and really open to that, um, somebody might know what to make and not know what to make of it. Yeah, um, but it can be such a beautiful experience to access the fifth dimension, but it does mean that you're opening yourself up. Um, it does. And I, and it, what happened to me, and I think this, I think this is where we are as a human community, completely changed my relationship with death. Right. You know, because most people have a fear of death, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's sort of inborn in us so that we try to preserve our, ourselves. Um, but when you, and, and those celestial realms in scientific terms would be called other dimensions. And I think science is beginning to acknowledge the existence of other dimensions. You know, our sight is limited. We only see on a certain spectrum. Our, our sound uh, ability to hear is limited, but if we could, if we ha- if we expanded our, uh, I mean, what spiritual practice does is it it heightens your perceptions so that mm-hmm. you can see into those higher realms, mm-hmm. those other dimensions, and you can hear things that are that are spoken there or music mm-hmm. that can, and it is beautiful. I mean, why would you want to close yourself off? It's right. it's. I mean, I think like you said, being grounded because being able to access that Christ consciousness you know, Mary Magdalene energy in the fifth dimension. Um, if you don't have that psychic hygiene and you're not being embodied and grounded, then you probably could pick up stuff from the fourth dimension or um, maybe a, a deity or entity may sense your openness and ability and want to be, you know, channeled through you while you're trying to, you know, channel the fifth. So I think that, um, Maybe too, if there's that fear, just to um, be even more diligent in your spiritual hygiene, maybe, right? That's a good way of putting it, to be mm-hmm. more diligent. I think it's a very good way of putting it. And I, I think if you have a, someone that you call upon, whether it's Christ or your guru or whoever, mm-hmm. um, that's your protection. That's your ultimate protection. Mm-hmm. And so to, 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 to kind of enter into this realm, into the openness of the universe... One does need a, one does need protection. Yeah. Do you think that it's important to have an external protector, or you know, external is not the right word, but something else beside your own inner warrior or your own authority to be able to call? Like, have you found that important in your life as having a higher power or something that you can lean on in that sense when you feel like you might be at the you know crux of I don't know surrendering against something that. I just always have this, this is a, this is just a conversation that seems always ongoing for probably all of us. It's very existential, but this external force idea or this Being external like a crutch evil, or something. Well, no, not a crutch, just 
because I, I mean, Hey, if it works for you, it works for you at the end of the day, but I'm saying the, the sense of um, external evil coming at you mm. and the way that, and, and maybe that's death. Sometimes, you know, the fear of death might be really what that actually is at the core, but that idea of this thing that's going to get me becomes something that sometimes motivates people to seek some sort of higher power or dogma. It's going to save them instead. Yeah. And and there's a delicate balance there. Right. But I was just wondering, Dana, from your perspective and maybe even from your own life experience, is that something that you ever kind of looked at or weighed out, you know, in your, in your journey, um, I'm not formulating this question very well, but just I understand that what you're saying. Okay. I understand what you're saying. And and it's actually a very important question today because I I found my guru very early young. I was 20. And uh, he wasn't in the body. He'd already left the body, but he left an organization. And basically he gave me all the practices that I needed to deepen my spiritual life, my meditation practices. Uh, uh, um, at certain stages, one needs a guide, Right. And, and, and he explained a lot about the, the laws of the universe. The, I, I came to understand karma in a different way. Um, at a certain point, he became an internal presence. And so mm-hmm. what your question is, do you need another or is it all within you? It's all within you. Mm-hmm. It's all within you. I mean, a guru helps awaken that, uh, uh, awaken that remembrance of who you are. Yeah. And so it's very helpful for some people. But I see especially today that a lot of people are going through that because there's so much available, so much knowledge available, mm-hmm. um, that a lot of people are going through that without the guru. Yeah. I mean, and for many, you know, the guru, the guru is Christ for many people, right? Um, so so I had a guru from India, but Christ, I know people for whom Christ is the guru, is the living guru. doesn't sure. matter whether he's in the body or not. But Christ is inside. It's an internal, pres- an, an internal uh, 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 presence. And so... The guru is inside, and and that was one thing that my my teacher always said: the answers are within you. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you you people do use that as a crutch, and if you need to use it as a crutch, I'm not judging that. But uh, all of the answers are within, and if you can access those on your own, that's wonderful. If you do you do think that. it's just where we're at on our journey, depending on how we perceive? that um that relationship between it being something external that you're you're holding on to and, and trying to protect yourself with or the internal um authority that you're using to stand your ground where needed or stay grounded where needed um do you think it's the it's our journey as humans like you're talking about with past lives and coming through almost like stations or levels of being able to integrate um that part of you so that you can finally be in your own inner authority. Do you think that that is just, we're just on different parts of that journey and that's why it's important not to judge others for where they're at and why it's important to not judge ourselves for where we're at and that type of thing. I think, I think that's true. I think there's also an element of the times in which we live when there's so much accessible. Now you can learn practices of meditation. You can find sanghas online. I mean, you can, you, there's so much more available than there was say 50 years ago. Yeah where you had to seek out a spiritual teacher. I mean, mm-hmm. for, for the past, how many hundreds of thousands of years, if you, wanted, if you wanted practices and if you wanted to learn about spiritual matters, you had to seek someone out who could teach you, sure. yeah. right? 
Uh, and so I think it's a little bit of that, and I think it's also different places we are on the on the journey. But what what I what I have found through my spiritual mentors, my guru, and the others, is that they awaken um, they awaken a certain quality of love. Mm. Mm, I agree, and, and um, that's something that you can't get online. You can get meditation yeah. practices, but it's that quality of love which is mutual. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I have felt at different times in my life when I've had difficulties, my guru's presence just pouring love out to me. And, uh, and I, have, I have a very, very special quality of love for that being. Uh, and so it's the love relationship. And at, the, at the, the foundation of it all, I mean, what we learn as we move up the scale is that it's all about love. Yeah. Love is the foundation of the universe. And that brings up a, a good point too. I know f- uh, for me personally, my guide is Mary Magdalene. And through her, I have received so much mothering, so so much love. Um, and for me, that's never been, or it's not been a crutch where I'm not having to mother myself, but it's taught me to mother myself. It's taught me how to be a mother to my inner child. Um, and so... Um, that, that makes me wonder though, because I, I do, um, I have been told by an intuitive that I worked with Mary Magdalene in a past life. Like, uh, we worked together, um, and that now she's my guide. So I'm curious, do we find our guides through our past lives? Like our, our, our guides in, you know, from our past lives, basically people that we worked with. Yes. And Mary Magdalene is clearly very active today. Because hmm. there, there are others that I know. Um, I don't know if you know Mirabai Star, Cynthia mm-hmm. Bordeaux. Yeah, both of them uh, have been bringing forth that energy as well. Mm-hmm. And so um, definitely, I think that there's a past connection. I mean, what, what draws us to one and not to the other? It's all our past. Yeah. You know? I think it's, uh, you know, in, on this podcast, we... We talked to a lot of psychologists. We really delve deeply into the the union psychology and, and shadow work and that type of thing. And I find it so fascinating the the different modalities that as humans we use to get to integration, you know, that we get to finally embody or remember those lost parts of ourselves. Um and it's it's fascinating to understand the difference of this, like, you know, uh, maybe in science, they might call it like almost generational or gene trauma that causes you to live a certain way and act that out in your life. Um, And then when we're talking about the work that you do and talking about generational, um, well, past lifetimes and generational traumas that come through those lines, um, or even generational characteristics, like you were saying, you know, whether it's a, a a positive skill or uh, a trauma or wound that you need to heal. I just find it super fascinating to see the different systems that as humans, we like can intellectually hold and then figure out how to experientially do that during our lifetimes. Like for me, I'm, I'm very prone. You probably tell just by the way I talk, but to that intellectual side. And so that's why union psychology is, you know, I guess has always interests me, but when we get into that idea of the celestial realm, we get into that idea of something that feels intangible. I think for a lot of people, and especially for me, when we, before we began, began this, this podcast years ago, it was almost scary to kind of 
play in those realms that don't have any black and white nature to them that have that are purely gray if you want to you know put it that way and I just wonder if that was ever part of your process or were you always emotionally based you know had a really good emotional foundation that was you were able to kind of go into those places that seemed um, you know non-scientific I don't like to say it that way because I think science is uncovering a lot of that now but um, that were in those realms that just didn't have a black and white nature to them was that something that you had to move through Oh boy. <laughs> my, my past, my first past life recall, uh, which was, um, I guess I was in my early 40s when it happened. I had been married to a, a, a psychiatrist for many years. I was divorced at this time, a single mom raising my two kids, working at a job. And I started remembering my birth just previous to this, mm. which had a lot of trauma to it. I was born in Russia. I was sent out during the revolution, separated from my parents, never saw them again, ended up in Europe, and then had to deal with the Nazi period. I wasn't in a camp or anything, but I had a lover who was. Mm. And so there were a lot of traumas that I was experiencing around that. Here I was as a single mom making, taking care of my kids, going to work, thinking that I had flipped out. Mm-hmm. Here I am finding myself locked in another time realm. I mean, it took me about a year to work this mm. through. And... You know, because I was married to a psychiatrist and because I'm a very grounded person, I'd say to myself, okay, you know, you're holding a job, you're raising your kids, you're you're doing it all, so you're not crazy. (laughs) But I was, you know, I would be in a meeting at work and be remembering Germany in the 1930s. (laughs) And it was, it's why I don't encourage people. I say, look, if if your memories come back, they come back. It could be intense, you know, because, um, uh, if you've had an intense life, you know, it's, it's one of the reasons we don't remember is because it's a distract, huge distraction. And so I actually had a bit of a scientific side to myself. I went to the places that I saw. I saw where I had died in Prague in, in, in the early 40s. I went and found the street. I went to St. Petersburg to look for the street where I, where I had seen as a child. So I checked myself out in so many ways. Um, universities that I that I didn't know that suddenly I was hearing I would ask people is there such a place like they say recognize you're re you're remembering it yeah yeah and and um so I I I, then then after a period of time maybe it was a year maybe it was 18 months um that finished and I started remembering the life just before that and again I started checking things out so for the first few episodes I was very, and I was, I was still young and, um, you know, unsure of my steps and wondering if I was imagining the whole thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so after a while, I began to have faith in what I was seeing because it was beginning to come together as a cohesive picture and it was beginning to make sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so at the end of the day, it does make sense. It all mm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's there are no real surprises in it. Yeah. Um, and I think that introspection, you know, there's so many pieces to ourselves. As at the end, after I had seen many, many lifetimes, I said to myself, I'm, I'm it all. I'm that one mm. and that one and that one. Yeah. And then, and then who am I? I'm none of yeah. them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm curious how many, when when you talk about that, like how far back in time, can a soul go as far as their experience on earth? How many lives could we have lived? Like I have one friend who said, who was told 
his soul is as old as dirt. Like it's just so, so old. And I'm just curious, like how, how many lives are possible? How far back could we have gone? Very far back. Tens of thousands of years. Hmm. Tens of thousands of years. I mean, you know, the earlier forms of, of the human species, Neanderthals or whatever, I mean, we, we are evolving, and so we awaken with it all. And I think that um, I'm still on the journey. Mm-hmm. I've, the, in the, the book, When the Bright Moon Rises, I go back to a life about, uh, about 8,000 BCE. Um, and it's very vivid recollection in me, and I, I, I relate to certain parts of it. Uh, and I don't know if there'll be more. I mean, the journey's unending, right? I mean talk to me in five years and I may have a lot more to say mm-hmm. both going back in a history. But what interests me more now is uh, maybe it's because of the stage of life that I'm at is seeing more into the other dimensions, into the mm-hmm. celestial realms and understanding more the way things work in those higher realms. Mm-hmm. Because there does come a time when you're, well, how many, I mean, how you don't want to keep repeating and repeating yeah. and going through the, the birth again. Yeah. So that's another thing I'm curious about. Um, I, uh, I'm able to see past lives. I typically see them as a movie, almost screen on the right of them. Um, and then for me, uh, instead of seeing them, it's like, I, even with my eyes open, it's as if they're closed and I'm experiencing them. Uh, and I've maybe experienced, uh, five, um, all of them had very traumatic deaths. Um, but the, the one that I will share with you really briefly, because I have a question about it. Um, there was a life where, um, <clears throat> I, there was a, like a group of people, a small group of, of people who, uh, my gut feeling told me they weren't safe, but I wanted to help them. So I went along and helped them. And then they ended up robbing me, slitting my throat. And there was, you know, a ton of blood loss. And then here a couple of months ago, my esophagus tore in three places. And the way that that came about, which I'll share on another episode, because it's a long story, but the way that it came about was I did not listen to my, um, my, my inner wisdom, like to my uh, inner warrior. I went against my own, um, uh, intuition and I ended up in that situation. So, uh, what, when I came out of that and saw those two lives, uh, saw that past life lining up with this, my work was to promise myself and my soul and all future lives that I will never transgress myself like that again. Um, and I'm curious, how can, how can someone open themselves up to their past life so that we can heal patterns like that and not repeat them in current or future lives? And when I made that commitment to myself, is that part of that work? Is that, is that why? Uh, Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, things do get repeated. I mean, that's how you learn. Right. And so making a commitment to, 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 to be alert and to be caring and to, to, to take care of yourself. Is it is a is a it's as if you're 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 communicating now with your soul because it's it's the soul that 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 guides you, right? And we often don't listen because there's a clutter of other things that get in the way. But we have to the more we can clear out the clutter, the more we can get that direct intuitive uh, guidance that we need. So I definitely think that that your response to this most likely helped clear away that pattern. 
that that's that's the 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 um we have so much conditioning repeating of behavior and patterns of thinking and people tend to think of karma as just relationships or health issues but it's also patterns of thinking mm-hmm. and, and patterns of behavior you know lack of self-confidence well that's probably been with you for a long time if you difficulty finding your voice all those kinds of things uh, and at some point you have to face it and challenge it and move beyond it and resolve it it sounds like you did that and how can others open themselves up to that maybe so that they can um i'm sure we all want a easier next life so or not easier like you said but um more awakened right right and and to not be repeating the same patterns at least i think the first step is recognizing your challenges the patterns that are difficult Mm -hmm. um uh we all have we all have a, a difficult relation. Most of us. I mean, some people get vacation lives, right? They can't think of anything that's problematic. But if you look more deeply, there's a pattern of behavior that you want to change. It's, it's either a difficult relationship, um, a difficult work situation where you just can't get it right. Uh, you, you know, whatever you try, you're not, you're not successful at. It takes an application of your will to surmount that, to change a to change a habit. I mean, you know how hard it is to change habits. Try try stopping to drink coffee if you've had coffee every day of your life. To change yeah. a habit takes willpower. But yeah, and, so, and then you gotta go through the withdrawals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and it's like changing a pattern of behavior. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and so so introspection. I mean, even if you don't see anything about your past, if you introspect about your life, the things that um, that you know even if you don't admit it, but you really inside know are problematic for you or challenging mm-hmm. for you. And then you make a real effort to work on those areas. So, you know, and you brought up the vacation lives and it makes me think of, you know, everyone goes, oh, I just wish I could sit on a beach and drink margaritas. And then <laughs> you go and you, you sit on a beach and drink margaritas for a day, two days, maybe even a week. And then you're like, okay, what else? Because challenges life. I mean, that's what makes it exciting in a, you know, of course, having some, some balance of take up some rest days, you know, to yeah. recoup and then go back out and do the challenges. Cause I think that's the service that you're talking about is facing the challenge, doing the work um, essentially. And so when we play in that realm, I wonder in the, the realm of challenge, and, and introspective work, I think, is very challenging, you know, for, for us all. Um, does it take or do you believe, you know, you talked about the the person you knew, I think it was your family member who was on a vacation life or you witnessed these people having these vacation life. Do, is there a, like a like a tangible characteristic that you think that in this lifetime they aren't experiencing almost like like intellect or, or like some sort of intelligence? That's a big word, right? But that they just aren't embodying in this lifetime for some reason. And so they just aren't going to touch that stuff. They aren't going to dive inward that way. Well, I found that it, it all depends what, what your, what your purpose is. Mm-hmm. If you want to, if you want to understand life and yeah. the universe, mm-hmm. then you're going to dive in. But if you don't, and a lot of people are happy just to be on the surface of things, yeah. just let it be easy for me. Let me get have a nice marriage and, you know, enough money and, and I'm, I'm content with that. That's all I need. And so there are a lot more people like that who are just want to have a, a contented life. Mm-hmm. But is that true happiness? I mean, there's, 
there's uh, the the um the more awakened you you are the more capacity there is for joy and for love and so the beings that you see in these higher realms how would you describe them they're beings that are filled with love and mm. joy and so those who who aren't content with just a little contentment <laughs> you know um well, you know sitting in front of the tv and watching a good series um push forward to get more they want they want what they know is their true nature which is that intense love and joy mm-hmm. but i'll tell you in the middle of some of these times where i feel like i am pushing i'm like why can't i just relax and be super you know like i have gratitude for what is and i can get into a gratitude practice but it's like what is that part of me that pushes anyway like it knows it yeah. could relax right now but it decides let me push let me push let me i think i think that from what i'm sure you know of my experience it's like you do that you do like i um my intuitive mary margrave said that like i've i've healed or i've done three lifetimes of work in this one lifetime and i always choose the fastest not the easiest mm. and that now it's time to choose the easiest so i think you get to this point where you're like who this is no longer good for me and then you like you let the trauma unfold naturally instead of digging up the trauma, you know? It's what I, in my experience, I, I don't know if you agree. I do. I think it's true. And I think we all need to take a break. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, as you said, gratitude practice. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot just to, just the to sacred be grateful. Pause. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the sacred yes. pause. And, um, you know, and, and with this, this, this COVID time has given all, so many of us, people have experienced it in different yeah. ways. But for many of us, it's been a sacred pause of, aha, I don't have to be rushing yeah. around. I don't have to be out. I can be in. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I'm it's a contemplation, though, moment of contemplation. On top of what Mercedes asked, um, why do you think some people are so skeptical of past lives? Like there's times when, um, and I, I've gotten to where I don't take it personal anymore because it's like if you tell someone like, you know, if a Christian were like, yeah, I speak in tongues, I can speak in tongues. And someone's like, well, I don't believe in that. Then you're basically saying they're playing make believe or they're a little crazy, you know. But um, so if I tell someone, you know, maybe that I believe in past lives or that I can see past lives and they say that they don't believe in that or there's no way that's true. I've gotten to the point where it's no longer, I no longer feel they're calling me crazy and it's, you know, completely separate. It's just where they're at, where I'm at. Um, and no one's better than the other, but I'm curious what causes that skepticism where it's an immediate, no, I don't believe in that. Is it, do you think, um, the obvious answer is probably a bit of, um, the religious programming in our culture, but, Fear, yeah. Yeah. I think it's fear. I think it's the program. I mean, I think also, first of all, they don't have any memories or they mm. push the, they're so suppress the memories. But isn't it easy to think that if you just, you know, show up at church, uh, that you're going to go end up in heaven forever and you're going to be happy forever? I mean, yes. isn't that an easier thing? Well, to think? and it's also, <laughs> you'd think they're running from fear in the one situation, but that to me is also fear based because you're trying to avoid hell. Mm. You know? Totally fear based. I mean, that's how the institution. Uh, survived basically mm-hmm. by keeping people in fear. You do A, B, C, you're taken care of. You don't, you're in trouble, and it's right. going to be forever you're in trouble. Yeah. You know, and how to deprogram people that there is no judgment, there's nobody punishing us. We, we ourselves <laughs> determine our. I know our, that part makes yeah. me so sad that that's how God is viewed as this judgmental. Yeah, uh, I can't even use the word God anymore sent- because, because he's. It's been so abused. What do you use? 
source? I say, I say source or the divine presence or the, the cause, the ultimate cause. I mean, you know, uh, there are Sanskrit words that I use, yeah. you know, Satyananda, ever conscious, uh, uh, ever new bliss, mm-hmm. um, uh, where there's no concept of, of punishment or judgment or any of that. I mean, that's such an artifice. And I think we're at the evolutionary stage where, where we're needing to outgrow all those um, religious uh, 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 impositions that have held people for the last few thousand years. And I think slowly we are. We see, we see the decline in, in yeah. pe- who people who go to church in America. It's or the changing of the church. Yeah, the church. There are churches that are, you know, changing. Blowing. They're definitely yeah. changing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, And it is, it is. I There's mean, proof can, of that. We've had one of the past yeah. podcasts. And it was amazing. Yeah. One of yeah. our most awesome episodes. Mm-hmm. All right. So just, I guess this is shifting just a little bit here, but I wanted to know the importance of sound and mantra, because I know this is something you play with a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, how can, how can that serve our spiritual growth, getting really, uh, uh, I guess, into the work of what sound, how sound plays in our lives and the vibration of it and all that and, and mantra, which we know we talk about a lot on the show, but I would love to hear your perspective on this, Dina. So, so um, in the higher ages, you know, when there was a more uh, uh, expansive uh, understanding of spiritual laws, mantra was used to create. Uh, there's, there's a lot of power in, 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 a, in the use of vibration um, but you need a focused mind and a, a, and a very um, uh, a, 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 um, concentrated mind to be able to awaken the creative energies that exist. Okay. So mantra would use, was used to create things. And uh, even now, every now and then, you know, you find somebody who can materialize things, which is a kind of like a very, it, it, it's, it's um, people get impressed by that, but it's just a, a certain practice that, can be learned. <laughs> yeah. um, so, so mantras can also be used to destroy. And there were times during the declining ages where mantras, like the Mahabharata War, the Great War in India, um, about a thousand BCE, where the weapons were mantra weapons, and so they had powerful missiles that were released with the use of mantras. Mm-hmm. Even in Tibet, Tibet, and the, there were mantra wars between the monasteries in the fifteenth, sixteenth um, century, wow. and so. These spiritual beings used the higher ages. It was used for, to create. It was used for beneficial purposes, healing. But in the, in the, uh, it could also be abused. Mantras could be abused and used to curse people, etc. So um, there's a lot of power in in the word. But even you know, just those of us who are doing practice, the power of affirmation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, mantras awaken certain energies. But we do that within ourselves when we do affirmations. Uh, the power of the mind. We have not yet tapped. It's like our subconscious doesn't realize uh, when we're saying it, whether it's true or not. So it just believes it, right? And then we're training. That's the power. I mean, you look even just basic things like advertising. We can mm-hmm. see it in our political realm now. If you say something enough, again mm-hmm. and again and again and again and again, People are without even using their discriminative ability, mm-hmm. it goes into the subconscious and they just start believing that. Yeah. And so the, the power of repeating mm-hmm. words penetrates that's how advertising works. Right. Is it also something to do? I, I cut a store and I remembered hearing that it had something to do with how the way the tongue hits the roof of the mouth 
during certain mantras, as well as the sounds, like how room that sound, which is my magic trick today, can calm anxiety. Like there's certain ways, certain sounds and vibrations in the certain way that the tongue hits the roof of the mouth during certain words that causes a certain effect or? That's true. The way that the tongue hits a certain part of the, uh, the, the, the mouth uh, activates certain parts of the brain. And so there's a connection because everything is connected. There's a connection mm-hmm. between different parts of the brain and, um, uh, uh, and the mouth. And so the, the rishis, the, the, the spiritual masters, knew how to activate certain parts of the brain through the use of sound. Mm. So, for example, when you say Om Ganapati, Om, Om Gam Gamanapati Namaha, mm. and that's to remove obstacles. Yeah. Is that more, where's the power in that? Is that more that we're asking Ganesh to remove an obstacle and we're just believing that it's going to happen? Or is that more the way that our tongue is moving when we say it? Or can you kind of break down that one? For some people, it's, it's a praying to an external being. For other people, it's awakening that power within yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Agni, Agni, which is the, you know, the fire yagna, right? Agni, the, uh, the fire. Everything in the external world is a symbol of something internally. Agni represents the will. So all prayers begin with Agni. You first have to awaken your willpower, the higher willpower, in order to achieve anything. So all these prayers to deities are internal forces. Um, the Vedic rishis knew that the deities were external and internal forces. So you're awakening that internal power within yourself that's aligning with an external force to create a certain effect. Mm-hmm. But all of those powers are within ourselves. All the, the energies of the deities are within ourselves. And so back to the first, you know, the earlier question of do you need an external uh, uh, being? Well, if you can tap those internal energies within yourself, I mean, a guru can help do that, can help awaken that. But if you can do that yourself, then, you, then you're at the source of everything because, mm-hmm. you know, the soul is, is, is just the awakened consciousness, mm-hmm. part of the whole. Yeah, wow. So, okay, so I have so a couple of things. One of the things, since we're talking about how, you know, you using these mantras creates not just physically a vibration that can have an effect on us physically, but also creates obviously a, a, a mental, a mind-body relationship, really, it seems like it's happening here, and taps into that soul level my mom, so, so recently my little kitty Mishka passed away and I have been grieving. And one of the, you know, steps of grief that I've been stuck in is guilt. And so my mom brings over this book that she uses a lot in her life. It's, I think it's called the 72 names of God, but it's Sanskrit writing. They're little mantras that are to help you through obstacles or, to affirm yourself and things like that. But the core of the practice that the book recommends is focusing on the image of the mantra. So the actual writing um, Mm -hmm. and it's in Sanskrit. So it's, it's not like, I don't know how to read it. Right. But um, to just burn it into your kind of memory. And that is supposed to release what you need to release or help you with whatever you're, you know, you're looking for there. Um, is that something you've ever played with is like this, this burning in of 
mantra in that visual way as well. I feel like it's like another layer on top of using it vocally. Absolutely. I mean, that's the thing. There's so many practices. Mm -hmm. There's so many ways to approach this. That's one way to approach it. I've had that with the Sanskrit name of Ram. Ram mm -hmm. to me is is my deity. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, the the the. I mean, he's to me is like the the, the cosmic reality. Uh, but I've gone through periods where I've just been writing his name again mm -hmm. and again mm -hmm. and again, writing his name, and having that name resonate. It's a mantra. One of them, a mantra mm -hmm. is repeat the name of Ram. Yeah, I love um, that one. And, and so it's. Um, it's definitely, I mean, we, it's one practice, one yeah. way of awakening those energies. I mean, it's all about awakening the energies within yourself. Mm -hmm. the, Getting the aligned with that, that frequency. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can, yeah. Can you also share, um, there's, I may be incorrect here, but is it like, do, re, mi, fa, um, you say that and it works with the chakras. Is that correct? I have heard that, but I don't know much about okay. that really in me. Yeah. But there's certainly sounds with the chakras. Yeah, uh, can you share one of those? Well, uh, uh, one, another spiritual practice is listening to the sounds of the, of the different chak chakras. Mm -hmm. So you close off your ears and you concentrate in the third eye and you listen. And each chakra gives off a different sound. You can hear the sound of a bell internally. Um, mm. You can hear the sound of Krishna's flute, mm. which I don't know what chakra, I think that might be the heart chakra. Um, and then the om, of course, is the spiritual eye, you can hear the om. So, so these are different um, frequencies, different levels of vibration that, that you can hear. And by tuning yourself in, again, you're aligning yourself. So if you want to focus on the heart chakra, you just focus on that chakra. People see things, they see colors, mm -hmm. they with the different chakras. Um, um, my practice is Kriya Yoga, so it does work with the different chakras. Mm -hmm. uh, but but I don't, and I'm and I do sometimes do that the the um, sound, the, the chakras with the sounds. Um, Why and, do and you merge with that sound? So if you're hearing the flute, you, mm -hmm. you attune mm -hmm. your energy with that sound, and you can merge with that sound, and then mm -hmm. that chakra opens more. So you could play essentially a, a, a meditative music or something to align you, to help you to yeah. align to those sounds as well. And, yeah. Okay, so, and I wanted to ask as well with that, I don't even know if it's an ask so much, but this this is something I found valuable in my life, like incredibly valuable. And maybe this is a much more overt way of doing some sort of sound practice, but it's definitely, you know, throat opening. So... I, I know any suppressed anger or um, rage that I was shown throughout my younger life, you know, domesticated to kind of keep down and suppress. I've now incorporated a practice where I literally yell as loud as I can, if I want to yell loud or I cuss mm -hmm. or whatever it is that I need to get out. And it's just making sounds sometimes. And I do that in usually a car because, you know, I don't have a forest to go yell in. I don't, I don't have somewhere that's very private. I don't think it's something you want to put on anyone else's shoulders. So, um, but that like yelling in the car has become one of the most important practices of mine or singing sometimes. And usually it turns from yelling. If there's some, some emotion I need to really move through my body and I can't do it just by walking or hiking or, you know, some other way I'll begin with this, this, this making sounds or yelling, or sometimes I'm in a goofy mood and I want to see what comes out. So I'll just start making the sounds, whatever that means. 
And then it usually turns into singing. And Jade, you've talked about here on the show Mm -hmm. that singing is, you know, in order to sing, you have to have an open heart. And of course, Mm -hmm. that's what we want to get to, right? Like we don't want to have a closed heart. We don't want to be angry and all these things. So it, I make sounds and sometimes yell and sometimes curse until I get to a place where I'm singing. And sometimes it doesn't all happen in the same sitting. Sometimes I need to come back to the practice, you know, over and over day after day or whatever. But is that something that's, first of all, I don't know, I kind of made that up, um, but I'm sure that it came naturally because it's something that works, you know, for humans to do. So is that something you've played with, Dina? Certainly, um, chanting. Yeah. Um, and, and I do listen to Kirtan a lot, hmm. you know, especially in the car. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I, I totally relate to that. I mean, I think um, no matter what you're experiencing, what kind of mood you're in, um, if you put on kirtan, you know, that just brings you into another dimension and opens the heart. Um, and if and if there's frustration, mm-hmm. yelling or whatever it does to release that from your body, I mean, it's not good to hold these things in your body. Yeah. They mm-hmm. produce ill effects. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. whatever uh, 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 problematic, you know, or uncomfortable energy you're feeling, it's good just to release it. Yeah. Some people do it through running, you know, through exercise. You know, I, I know a lot of people who exercise just to release the tension in their body. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But that yelling is a has been critical for me. Yeah, I, that's yeah, there's yelling ceremonies here in Austin. Um, <laughs> but I'm Static curious. Yelling. Heard of yelling ceremonies in the forest usually outdoors. Yeah, yeah, it is in the forest. I'm curious. You brought up seeing colors on chakras. So I've always seen and seen it taught in chakra books that I've read that it's the rainbow is how it's organizing colors um, from the root up. It's, you know, red, orange, you know, up to the rainbow. I'm curious why, if you know why, when I see chakras, they're not in those colors. Hmm. I don't know if it's the same for everybody. Hmm. It may not be the same for everybody. I mean, you know, so many things are, you know, manifest individually for us. Um, and, you know, people see uh, different numbers of petals. You know, I've never seen that. But mm. I know people who describe, you know, the first chakra has this number of petals. And then, the, then of mm. course, there's the thousand petals at the top. Mm-hmm. I, haven't, I haven't seen that. Um, and so everybody has a different experience. I mean, I think whatever you see, that's, that's your particular experience of it. And mm-hmm. that's, that's real. That's real. Mm-hmm. But in your practice, was it? in the order of the rainbow that you guys saw the chakras or was everybody different? I don't see colors. I don't see oh, okay. colors. You know, um, you know, people see the third eye differently, you know, mm-hmm. some people see a star. I just see a white light there. Mm-hmm. So um, I've not seen the star and yet a lot of people talk about a star yeah. that they see. Yeah. Um, and that's something I'm curious I, about, but I've always, I've, and I don't see colors with the chakras. I, I, um, more sensitive to the sound. I can hear the sounds in the chakras. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do, there is a practice that I don't do, but I, but I should do probably, which more is into the visualizing the different, how the chakras look. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I haven't felt the need to do that. Okay. I find this stuff fascinating because I don't, I'm not ever, I don't know. I guess, I don't want to say I've never felt like I want to be able to see auras or chakras or, or hear the sounds or all these things. I think it's fascinating. I'm fascinating, fascinated in all kinds of human systems. And I wonder if it's like a certain 
domestication you you know during your life that you go through or like your it's a past life that brings you to this particular work um or interest causes the interest in the particular work of being able to see or if you just start seeing and then you're like what is this you know and it kind of catches you almost by surprise and then you start digging there mm-hmm. or how did how does it come about usually? i think i think some of it might be our past experiences mm-hmm. um uh, you know, I know in terms of my past life recall that I've, I've, I've had past life recalls in past lives. <laughs> so it's not something that's new to me, um, you know, and I've, and I've in past lives have, have met different shamans and, and, and you know, who have opened certain things. And, and so then it's easier to access. If something's been opened before, it's easier to access. Uh, and I think it's okay. everybody, you know, it's like everybody has their own history. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, where you are is accumulation of where you've been. And so, yeah. yeah, I think it's a good thing to bring up, especially for our listeners, because this is something I think early on I would have um, liked to have heard about or, or something. Um, is that, you know, we all have our certain strengths and gifts and and then honing them is, you know, our chore here or our job, really. And maybe our yeah. pleasure as well. Um But it's not, you know, the different gifts are so important for their own individual way. And uh, like, I certainly feel like I have my own gifts that are completely different, but are also about seeing into humans. Uh, Specifically, that's what they feel like they're about. And maybe, maybe this is really just a delivery for the listener that if you're interested in humans and connecting, which I think we all pretty much are, but figuring out what your gift is, it doesn't have to look like the person next to you. You know, it doesn't like, like I've been friends with Jade forever and she's been experimenting with this stuff and really honing her own gifts in this realm forever. And it's always been so interesting to hear her story, you know, and as it is to hear your story today, but I think maybe it's important that we don't let this, this weird dragon of like, oh, I have to have this particular gift or be able to do this totally. skill or trick. Yeah. Totally. To totally. be said out loud, I guess is all I wanted to say. No, I mean, I, I have, I have friends and spiritual friends who, you know, who, who want to remember their past births and don't. And I say to them, it's not relevant for you. If it, mm-hmm. if that's not what's given to you, it's not important for you. You know, for yeah some reason that I'm working through my own this is what's come to me but I don't I don't have other experiences you know I have friends who all kinds of astral travel and find themselves in other places and all that and one one uh it's a trap to actually look over Mm -hmm. and and look at the gifts that another has because you don't know what their history has been what their learning needs to be for this what they what they had to go through to get them Like I know uh, a lot of people, the veil is thin in their aura to access the other dimensions because they had trauma, you know? So that's what caused the rip in the aura. And, and, and we each have a different gift to offer. That's the beauty of, 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 um, of the whole thing is that we all we're unique. Mm -hmm. You know, one person, no two people are alike. And so we have a different journey. We have a different gift to offer. Uh, And the key is to find your gifts is to find what it is you want to contribute and so do you feel uh, that that comes with like that slowing down and contemplating and you, like you said, you found meditation and your guru early on, and that is really what opened that up for you. Is that absolutely. how we get there? I mean, for me, whatever your practice is, it doesn't have to be meditation. Sure. For me, it was meditation. 
But whatever your time of reflection and looking more deeply into life, mm-hmm. however that works for you, whether it's prayer or just sitting still, whatever it is, uh, I think that's crucial uh, mm-hmm. in order to know yourself, in order to know how you can best use your time here, mm-hmm. in order to... to um, I love that part of it. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. love it. It feels so magical. Um, I brought up my past life with Mary Magdalene and her being my guide. I strongly feel that Mercedes um, is very much Isis energy and she's always, you know, been so drawn to Egypt as well. And I know that Mary Magdalene and Isis are very much partners in work and their work has been merging sexuality and spirituality, which is very much Mercedes and I's work before we even knew that those were, you know, guides to work with. So when you just step back and look at it, it adds so much magic and without allowing it to take you out of the now and focus too much on the other lives. It, it can add so much um, appreciation and you know? perspective. Yeah. It gives mm-hmm. you just another layer of being able to yeah. see it from a place that's not, you're not drowning in it or overwhelmed by it. You can go mm-hmm. like, Oh, okay. I can see the goal and I can see how to get there. It gives you some alignment it, to me. It also adds excitement. Just like, you know, <laughs> the magic oh, is fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there were times when I was doing a lot of traveling. I've made many, tri- a number of trips to Egypt. Um, and I remember meditating in the pyramids and then going down to the ancient Isis temple. Mm. And clearly I had a history there. It's not predominant in me now. It's not something that, I have only vague memories of it, not concrete. And so it's not an activating for, an activated force right now in me. Um, my activating forces are all coming from India. <laughs> mm-hmm. How do you feel? How, what does an activated force feel like? Like the, how do you feel the pool or what does that look like? I find myself mentally there a lot, okay. uh, t- tapping into the spiritual energies of the place. Um, and they really pull at my heart. Um, like a yearning. So I, it's like well, there's the yearning and all tremendous love. Okay. The India I see is not the Indian of today. It's the India uh-huh. of ancient times. And, um, you know, in, in one of my books, The Untold Story of Sita, I talk about a life as a, as a servant in the household of Sita. Mm. And um, Sita is the wife of Ram. That's how she's known as the wife of Ram. She's, a, she's a, an avatar in her own right. <laughs> mm. But um, that has a very strong... Uh, uh, um, living reality within me today. And so I, I feel that I'm in communion with those yeah. forces of Sita and Ram. Uh, and more recently, you know, the book When the Bright Moon Rises uh, talks about three lives in China where I tapped into the Taoist energy. And so I'm, I'm thinking about that now because China is an emerging force in the world, right? And it has an ancient spiritual culture mm-hmm. that's somewhere there. <laughs> Yeah, um, but we're not so aware of it today, you know, because of all the other things that have that have are kind of preoccupy us, us around around China. So, how to tap into that spiritual mm-hmm. energy of the place? I mean, because I'm an activist in the outer field, so I do a lot of you know activist kind of work. I I I, I see my spiritual path and my activist roles as being connected, as going mm-hmm. hand in hand. Um, and I see India as having a future role because the spiritual energy is intact there, as having a future, as, as having an important role in the world today on mm-hmm. the spiritual plane. China is also uh, an important player. And so how does the awakening of these spiritual energies help guide the material reality? Mm-hmm. That's how I yeah. join together my spiritual life and my outer activities. 
And so physical places then you're saying, you know, hold these energies and can kind of kind of hold them and wait for people to come to access better there, like almost a, a vortex in a sense or. A, Absolutely. Okay. A vortex. I mean, you know, we know that about India. I mean, every time I've gone on a pilgrimage to one of the ancient places in India and I've gone way up to the Himalayas many times, something happens. Mm-hmm. Something happens. It's like yeah. there's a portal there. Mm-hmm. And I've wanted to go to the sacred mountains in China. I was scheduled to go before COVID, then COVID hit. And I think it's important to tap into the spiritual energies of that place. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think, you know, this is more my external work, is that how mm-hmm. do we bond together on a, on a spiritual realm yeah. to ease some of the outer tensions so that we don't end up killing each other, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Other friends that I've worked with Isis have had said, that there's a place in Egypt. I don't know if it's a temple. Yeah, yeah it is a temple. Um, that when they've gone there, it felt very much like what you're describing. The Temple of Isis. It's yeah. It's a very place. Yeah. And then that's, I really want to go to um, the south of France, the, the cave that Mary Magdalene fled to yes. and did all the healing. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so awesome. Have um, you worked with Mirror by Star at all? No. Oh, she does a lot of work around Mary Magdalene. What about Cynthia Bourgeau? Do you know her work around Mary Magdalene? Uh, I have her book. Um, I've read her book. Uh, uh, I've recently read four books on her, and I'm trying to remember which one was hers. Um, She wrote a book on Mary Magdalene. uh Uh-huh. Was it um, The Meaning of Mary Magdalene or Mary Magdalene Revealed, one of those two? Not Mary Magdalene Revealed. That's Megan Waterson, I think. Yep, it's... it's, um, the Meaning of Mary Magdalene. It's a purple cover. Yeah. Tom okay. Shadiak loves her. He's writing a script on Mary Magdalene. Oh, right now. wow. Um, cool. So, and he's got so much uh, Christ energy too. So, mm-hmm. um, so I, I also wanted to, we've got one more question before we go to our lightning round. I um, wanted to ask you about how the ancient Vedic plans were ruled by women. And I was curious if there is a message for women in this recent book of yours, um, because I know there are in the other two books of yours. There's definitely, there's always a message for women. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in the ancient, in the, in the, in the Vedic days, I mean, the Vedas go back 10,000 years, but it was centuries, it was millennia before they were actually compiled. And, and, and so much has been lost in the process. We have just a fraction of, of what was, but there were women rishis. Uh, uh, their names are known. There were women um, who wrote parts of the Vedas, wrote some of the poems, the hymns of the Vedas. And in the part of the story, the early part of the story in the book, uh, talks about one of the time when, um, after the melting of the ice, because 11,000 BCE is when the ice began to melt, the oceans rose 400 feet. What interested me is that was another time where humanity faced melting of the ice, and there were a lot of migrations. And so when the ice melted, the, the communities migrated from the sea into the forests, um, and which were just beginning to bloom, actually. Forests were growing. And then there came a time when they were migrating to the rivers. And so this takes place during the Sarasvati River civilization, where the clans, and the clan that I was part of was ruled by a woman. I don't know that all the clans were ruled by women, but this clan was traditionally led by a woman. And this woman had two daughters and three sons, and both women were unable to leave the clan and it became a crisis. Um, and, and it got later resolved. But um, the, 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 I, the character that I identify with, Sundari, um, is taken in, in by a woman sage, 
Sage Gayatri and taught many things about the uh, spiritual realities, although she didn't understand them. She wasn't at the level where she could understand them. But in the book, it goes into the deeper meaning of the Vedic uh, teachings um, as taught by the women. So mm. I think the message in all my books is that there was a time before recent history when women and men were equally supporting each other, doing the teaching and doing their things. And then with the declining times, as we approach the Kali Yuga, a patriarchal mindset or a mindset of domination. I don't even like to call it patriarchal, but domination, because mm-hmm. it was more than just gender domination. It was, it was, you know, people started taking slaves, didn't have that in the higher ages. People started conquering other nations, didn't have that in the higher ages. People started dominating nature, didn't have that in the higher ages. So it was this need to dominate, dominate, to, to, be, uh, to be better above the others. And this is what we need to change, this concept of domination. Of, of, um, and so, you know, we're, women are part of that, of, of moving beyond um, the, the um, mindset where, uh, where we can't be an equal contributor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you said earlier about, you know, your mentors and gurus, you could feel their love pouring into you. I feel like um, this, this time we're in right now, we're, we're, we're adjusting from that very dominating or domineering um, place is, is largely about softening and love, I think is largely about softening, you know, about being able to Mm -hmm. kind of allow, you know, and, and literally soften, literally receive and allow whatever, whatever we need right now. And uh, there's a gentleness there. There's a love there that is Mm -hmm. coming in in full force. I feel that we're part of it. You know, we're all doing this, especially as women. I think we're, 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 I I, I don't know. It's just beautiful. I think to be alive right now and see this, the shift happening. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I love that word softening. I think it is a softening. Um, and the shift is happening. I mean, it's, it's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? right. We're in the middle of it. Yeah. We're in the and middle I, of it. I also wanted to bring up and acknowledge that the profits from this book will be donated to the Global Peace Initiative of Women to empower people everywhere in their quest to make this a more peaceful world. And I just wanted to um, thank you for your work in that. And thank you for all of your work with the Global, Global Peace Initiative of Women. Um, and uh, just honor you for that. Yeah. And thank you for having me. It was wonderful talking to both yeah. of you. Thank you. We've got we've got a few more lightning round questions before we let you go. Okay. Mercedes, you want to kick us off? Yeah. So the first question is if you could hug your younger self right now, what would you say? If I could hug my younger self, mm-hmm. I would say be happy. Mm. If you could have the whole world read one book, which would it be? The Untold Story of Sita. Sorry, it's my book. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, let me correct that. Autobiography of a Yogi. <laughs> Autobiography. Autobiography of a Yogi. Yeah. All right. Um, if you could whisper one phrase to everyone on the planet, what would it be? Love is the foundation for all. Love is, is the, the fabric of the universe. Mm. Tune in with that love. Feel that love. Mm, thank Definitely. you. Before we let you go, where can people find you online? 
Well, I have a, a, a public page, Facebook page. So it's Dina Miriam public page. And I have a, a the Global Peace Initiative of Women has a, a Facebook page and also the website, gpiw.org. And you. so you can contact me at any one of those places. Beautiful. Awesome. Thank and you so much. It was a great much. conversation. A great, it was yeah. wonderful meeting both of you and just continue on with your wonderful work. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. We appreciate that. We appreciate you being a light in this world. And we're so glad to have gotten to pick your brain for a little bit. So appreciate you. Yeah. We'll Be talk well. to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, Dina. <sighs> that was lovely. Yeah, she really she I wanted to spend more time with her, like off 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 the record. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I need to spend more time with her books, I think. Um she had a lot of really interesting mm-hmm. perspectives of looking at it that I don't feel yeah. like um, I know much about. So super yeah. fascinating stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I already brought up my magic trick, but yeah. um, this is something that Eric Gotti taught me that like when I'm feeling my nervous system really, um, you know, out of whack or hyped up, or if I'm feeling anxiety, if I'm feeling triggered to take a deep breath in and on the out say room, And like, I did that much shorter than uh, I can if I'm doing it throughout the entire exhale, but it's V-R-O-O-M, room. And it's funny because I, my son, you know, has a bit of anxiety like I do. And I told him this tool. And so uh, I think I've told you this story, but like the first time he did it, he ran up to his room stomping. And then I told him, you better not slam that door. You do your room. And so he slowly closed the door, like where almost like the shining and he was going vroom. <laughs> I so, like this. Go to your room. I know. <laughs> That's funny. Um, but yeah, it works for him and it works for me. And um, that is definitely a sound and a mantra that, that has helped when my nervous system needs calming. Okay. I need to use that. Definitely yeah. need to use that. Um, How about you? So my magic today, just because Dina talked about, um, you know, a little bit about how she's evolved her relationship with death through her work with, I guess I can call them interdimensional beings, like deities and entities and the like. Mm -hmm. I thought it might be worthwhile to incorporate a magic trick that asks you to dance with how alive we actually are. So My my magic actually comes today from um, a woman named Erin Bidlake, who's a yoga and meditation teacher. She's a community death care educator and a death doula. So her idea is to turn the mundane into the sacred and the sacred into the mundane, which mm-hmm. I absolutely love. She says, the other day, a meditation student asked me if I light a candle before I meditate. No, I said, but I do light a candle before I watch Netflix. She said, (laughs) my meditation practice is already infused with care and intention, but my Netflix practice runs the risk of being unmindful without a reminder that I'm engaging in the important practice of rest and downtime. So I absolutely love any reminder we can give ourselves to not just, you know, continue scrolling and kind of make it sacred so that it's intentional, right? So to this end, she offers three practices for contemplating death in your daily life that actually allow you to awaken your life fully. So the first portion of this practice is um, just noting that death is all around you. And that sounds scary, but just think about it in the smallest senses. So she says to spend a few minutes each day 
looking around and noticing everything that was once alive, which is now dead. So if you're indoors, you might notice wooden furniture, um, fabric made of cotton, and uh, it could be like a leather belt, you know, fruit displayed in a bowl. You could think about um, if you're outdoors, you might think about the branches and the leaves scattered on the ground. Uh, maybe there's like a dead squirrel or something on the road that makes you notice a husk of a desiccated insect. You know, you see those all the time. Um, and just acknowledge that that death is all around you and remind yourself that this is also your fate eventually, you know, and it's happening mm -hmm. for everything around us, every one around us, as well as ourselves. And to ask yourself the question, what will outlast you? So to spend a few minutes each day looking around and noticing everything that will likely carry on after your death. So you might notice the grand stately buildings that have been around for centuries that's going to probably still be here. The saplings and, you know, even the young children's who, children whose lifespans might, I would assume, go on hopefully beyond yours, right? Um, and also notice the plastic water bottles, the teaspoons, the mm. ballpoint pens, like these objects that are little, they're not significant at all, but they will likely be here long after we're gone. Um and then to contemplate death in times of illness, which I thought was really interesting because I noticed this happens to me organically whenever I'm sick, but it also, I get this weird thing. Like I almost feel like it's going to affect me from not getting well. If I think about death too much while I'm sick, um, mm. I don't think that's probably a reasonable thought, but <laughs> I have it. So she says though, to seize the opportunity when you're in times of illness um, to contemplate your death and she says it's a wonderful way to gain insight into the experience of dying. So as you lie in bed, listen to the world go on without you. So listen to the cars passing outside your window, the children on their bicycles, um, the parents pushing strollers. Meanwhile, contemplate your waning strength or your poor appetite, your, le your lethargy, you know, and if you're someone who has built an identity around doing and accomplishing, hello, hello, that's me and you, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, to experience the stripping away of that identity as you cancel meetings and appointments because you're sick, right? And to mourn the small losses, such as not being able to eat your favorite foods or taste your favorite foods for that matter, um, or, you know, because you can't taste usually when you're sick, right? Um and missing out, of course, you could be missing out on fun plans and having FOMO because you're sick. And so just to kind of let that sink in and feel what that's like, because what does that do whenever we contemplate the, the, the death of things and the not being able to play and all those things, we really grow our gratitude for where and when we're able to do those things. And that is how we fully awaken to our life and how we fully awaken life generally is mm -hmm. by um, living in gratitude more often of what is happening right now that we are alive and that we can experience the fun and taste the food and do all the things. Yeah. So. And if you liked that magic trick, I would highly recommend you go listen to our episode with the death doula. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it was a while back, so you're gonna have to search for it, but um, it was really, really good. Yeah. All right, Magic one. Mobbers. Thank you so much for tuning in and taking this journey with us. If this episode held some magic for you, please share it with your friends and family. That would mean so much to us. And don't forget to join us on our Instagram page at The Magic Hour and let us know what your favorite episodes have been so far. We appreciate all of your feedback and want to know what's lighting you up. Yes, guys. And 
this is super important. I'm going to just highlight it because we don't ask for much on this show. We do this out of just loving being in this work ourselves and wanting to bring this to everyone of you listening. So the kindness that would be brought upon Jade and I in being able to future this podcast is really brought through that just giving us the five-star uh, rating on your podcast app right now. And if if you want to be really super generous in the moment, then please also leave us a review because that is what allows our podcast to get heard by others, what allows us to get ads on it so that we can continue to support it um, and support our lives while we are creating it. So all of that helps. Love you so much for taking that extra energy and effort. We really, really do. And we read every single one of them. They light up our lives. They keep us on this track of doing this work. So thank you for that. And of course, you can go listen to another of our podcast episodes now in our library. Um, and we hope you do. Let us know on social media what lights you up. And until we see you next Monday for another one of our episodes. Be a light. Quick disclaimer. We are not medical professionals. So following any of our protocols or advice should be done at your own risk, people. And please remember to always, always do your own research. Tap into that extraordinary growth mindset we all have access to within ourselves and seek out your own answers. Come on, guys, you know, you know the deal. And by the way, if you are a medical professional or an expert in any topic we cover and you feel we are not giving accurate information about it, please find somewhere to contact us. Contact us via social or email us at our website and let us know. A major goal of ours in doing this podcast is to bring value to people's lives by sharing helpful insights and info. So we welcome being corrected at any time and we'll be happy to share any of our fuck ups with our listeners so as to get us all back on track to discovering our happiest, healthiest selves.